All right, let's see. I have no fun or cute stories this week, so you are on your own. So tell a joke amongst yourselves. <laughs> if you remember last week, I mentioned that there are some sections of a text that you really look forward to. Now, that was, when going through Colossians, that was like a lot of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. And then I mentioned there were sections you're just kind of like you wish you could skip over because they're not as much fun. That was a little bit of last week. And there also, there are sections of a book that you wish you could skip over entirely because you really don't want to have to talk about them in public. That's this week. (laughs) Which, um, shameless plug, this is why we go through scripture the way that we do. Because if left to my own devices, there are plenty of things that'd be like, you know what? We could just we just skip that. It'd be fine. It'll be fine. But when you start at the beginning of the book and go to the end of the book, you get to that section and go, well, if you'd, you'd know what would happen, you'd notice if we skipped it. Like, hey, wait a minute. There were some verses in there that you just kind of went right by. You, were they important? If they're in your Bible, they're important. So even if you don't want to deal with them, we deal with them. Sound good? All right. Now, with that said, some preliminary work before we even change the slide. So don't go reading ahead yet. I see what you people are doing. (laughs) See, I can see you. (laughs) Now, despite everything that Paul has said in this letter, we are influenced by the world. The problem that creates when you come to your Bible is we have a really bad habit. When I say we, I mean all of us, is we end up trying to read and understand Scripture in light of the world around us. That is the mistake. You do not wish to take who you are, what you know, the world around you, and then try to understand Scripture in light of that. You want to understand Scripture in light of its world its context, and then take the lessons that it is giving to, giving to you, and then understand your world in light of Scripture. So if we do this right today, that is what we will accomplish. So what's our previous instruction? I know I've done this like three weeks in a row, but it matters. You are saved in Christ, who is God. Therefore, you are rejecting the world, including the world's philosophies, and you are grounding your life in Christ and all of his teaching. That means everything that we do from this point forward should be done in light of those things. Sound good? Okay, let's see how many people I can make mad at me today. <laughs> Colossians chapter two. No fist pumping. <laughs> no, no fist pumping. <laughs> all right, verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting Lord. Now that's just not going to cause controversy at all. You know what I should do? See, I am weird because when given the opportunity to pick a text for a special event, we, I, I purposely picked in 2018 for Valentine's Day, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. So I could just say, you know, you've all already heard this. Just go look up that and, you know, we'll, we'll just skip right past this. <laughs> you see, the reason I could say that is because I don't think there's actually a copy anywhere out there that exists because we weren't doing all the recording in 2018. So, no, I can't do that now. As you can imagine, in 2023, there's just no baggage here at all, right? (laughs) First things first, this is not an unusual instruction in your Bible. So I've mentioned Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's not just Paul, by the way, you know, that evil uh, woman hater that he is, apparently. 1 Peter chapter 3. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So that's first things first. Paul does not just come up with this to the Colossians out of thin air. This is something that is in numerous places in your New Testament. Now, real quick. If you've ever had children, nieces, nephews, grandkids, you just love repeating yourself, right? It's what you live for, to tell the same person the same thing over and over and over again. It just makes your day, right? No, if you, but it is what you do. Now, why do you do it? You do repeat yourself because what you told them was, eh, take it or leave it, right? No, you told them something you thought was important. They did not follow it, so you did what? 
You told them again. You repeated yourself because what you are communicating is of some level of importance. Now, you do that. I'm going to ask the dumbest question I'm going to ask all day, all right? Just make sure. Are you God? No. <laughs> no. So you repeat important things. It's the only reason you repeat instruction. Why do you think God repeats it? Because it's important and it's something that you need. Okay. Disclaimer out of the way. That's number one. Number two. Let's cover the negative and deal with what this is not, okay? Because that is of importance as well. This is not a declaration about men and women, okay? This is not, I'm a man, I get to tell you what to do. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Just because you're a woman doesn't mean you are a wife. Just because you're a man does not mean you are a husband. Also, That's a little bit of an exclusivity in language, is it not? Just because you are a woman and you are a wife does not mean you have to listen to every other man who is a husband, correct? You... (laughs) Don't give me that look, woman. (laughs) That's my wife, by the way. So you do have to listen now. (laughs) I'm getting the the, uh, principal call groan from Vern. Why do we do that, by the way? You ever notice that? You remember that in school? Somebody gets to the principal's office. What does everybody in the classroom do? Ooh. <laughs> now, this is not a declaration about men and women. This is also not a deification of men. Okay? Just because you're the man and you're the husband does not make you right, good, and wholesome in everything that you do. Some of us are nitwits some of the time. Imagine that thought, right? <laughs> Don't you love when we tell on ourselves? Yeah, I said I didn't have one at the beginning. Come on, you want me to talk for upwards of a half an hour plus and not tell a joke at all? I was, have you met me? Have, have you met me? There, there, is, there, is very, there are very few things that I can go through in life and not have a joke somewhere. I've told jokes at funerals, so come on. <laughs> and they are appreciated. More so than at weddings. Weddings, jokes don't work. Don't do jokes. Joke. Don't do a joke at a wedding. Everybody is serious at a wedding. At a funeral, everybody's like, please do something to break the tension. Please, we need to smile. That was my favorite is still to this day. Um, some of you will remember Betty Holder. Her family, bless them, had nine songs for her funeral. Yeah, oh, wow, that was a lot. They didn't want to spring. They set it up on a Spotify playlist and nobody sprung for the premium. And they didn't want to download them. So they were playing them through the system from the Spotify playlist, which it's a funeral. So we got a song and then there's some scripture reading and then there's some family stories and then there's other things. So this, the, the nine songs were sitting for like an hour plus of the service. Well, you know what happened? Spotify stuck ads in there. <laughs> so in the middle of the funeral, they hit the play on the next song and we were getting a commercial for like this vacation package that you could buy. <laughs> And the best part is you can't skip it, so we just got to sit here and wait. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) We needed that, though. We needed that. It was good for us. Now, okay. With all of that said, so that's what this isn't. So what is this? This is an offering unto God in deference to the world that he has made. And we're going to build on this in just a second because the next verse goes with this one. Why do I say that? Because remember what came right before this, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And by the way, that context builds out in the Ephesians 5 passage as well. When Paul starts dealing with marriage in Ephesians 5, it does not come out of thin air. It comes built upon Ephesians 4, living your life in the world against the world. And then the, and, and then the building on Ephesians 5 of the relationships that the people in the congregation are supposed to have amongst one another. So Paul is moving from the greater down to the smaller. He's doing the same thing here in Colossians. You are supposed to live contrary to the world. You are supposed to reject the things of the world and gird and undergird your life on Christ and his teaching. That does not stop just simply because you went home to a spouse. That is included in every aspect of your life. So we are going to build out on this by using the next verse because it might actually be the more important part. You ready? Verse 19. 
Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. I don't make this sound there. You're, you can elbow him for that one. <laughs> Always remember, as we deal with all the husband and wife stuff, don't give your spouse the look during the sermon. Save that for the ride home. <laughs> Unless some Jerry Springer level of violence is going to break out, in which case give them the look in the service, and I will just stand up here and go, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> we'll let you go for about 20 seconds before we break it up. Sound good? Okay, rules are established. <laughs> no. This is actually the greater command. You see the same thing in Ephesians 5. Um, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Now, time out. Time out right there. See, if you're looking at this according to a worldly standard, you would say something like, see, I'm a man, I'm in charge. As Christ is the savior of the body. Dude, what's your job? In all things, what is your job above anything else? To glorify God, to live in all things unto his glory. That doesn't stop just because you got married. That ratchets up to 11 because you got married. Does that make sense? That's where Paul is anchoring Christian living. He is anchoring, what have I always told you? Where's your first ministry? At home, who does it begin with? You, you, your obedience to Christ, your following in discipleship does not begin with how you relate to someone else. It begins with who you are and how you view the world. The how you relate to the other people in your life is secondary to that. I have to remove the log from my eye before helping you remove the speck from yours. I have to ensure that I am grounded and guarding my heart and understanding where my advice comes from before I open my yap to give you said advice. I don't want to talk first and think second. We joked on Wednesday with the Bible study that we don't even know why we're causing a riot to arrest Paul. We just know that some people said we should arrest him. In other words, it was ready, fire, aim. That doesn't work. But how often do we do this in our culture? And again, living against the world. What happens, we've joked about the cable news thing before, but what do they do? Everything is what? Breaking news. Even though it's been on the calendar for six months, it's breaking news. No, it isn't. It's just what's happening today. And what do we want from all of our people with our breaking news? We, we, no, we, I need your opinion about this. We need to go hunt down this congressman or that senator or this spokesperson. What do they say about it? Right now. I don't know. What are we talking about? <laughs> and what happens if somebody goes, well, we're still evaluating and waiting for more information to come out. Oh, he's being weak and he doesn't have an opinion. He doesn't know what's going on. Ah, rubber, 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 rubber. No thinking. No evaluating. Everything. Scripture says no. Ensure that your heart is in the right place. Ensure that your mind is being guided rightly. Ensure that you are rested upon Scripture and you are anchored in the place that you are supposed to be anchored. Then think through the scenarios that the world has put your way and evaluate them. So let's continue right here. By the way, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is also the head of the church, himself being the Savior of the body. It has nothing to do with value. Would you like me to prove that? Oh, come on, stay awake, come on. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Is Jesus less than God? <laughs> See, that sounds like one of those silly things, because Jesus is God, so therefore he can't be less than God. This is that Philippians 2 in action that Christ in his earthly ministry has surrendered some of the independent function of his deity to be reliant upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient to the commands of the Father from eternity? Does that make Christ less than? No. It does, however, make Christ a servant. But is he less than? No. This is one of the things that gets hung up because it is one of the things that the world likes to twist, is your Bible looks at you and says, Husbands, Lead your family. Honor God in all things. Take up the mantle to be the godly influence in your household that is instructing your children, that is leading your wife, that is ensuring that when 
evil comes to your gate, you get to be the Gandalf. <laughs> come on, what's Gandalf's great big sacrifice? Come on, you know, you've seen the movie. You shall not pass! <laughs> See? Why is that there? Which, by the way, you, you do know Tolkien is writing a composite allegory, right? Like you, you, you are aware of that. It's not a one-to-one allegory of Christ, but Tolkien, as, as, a, as a faithful believer, is actually writing a, a composite allegory that Gandalf gets to be part of that sacrifice, that you see the suffering servants of the hobbits carrying the ring back, that you get to see the conquering king who assembles the armies. You get to see all the pictures of Christ fulfilled how? in all the different portions of the story. Why? Because Tolkien didn't think that he could rightly tell an allegory where one person could hold all the attributes of Christ. Gee, I wonder why he would think such a thing. (laughs) Because one person can't accurately represent that because you're not God. So all of those different aspects of Christ are displayed in that story. But, husbands, that's where that command lies. You You are supposed to be that dividing line for the family for the dividing line in your community that you say, no, this has crossed the line. This has gone too far. We're not letting this go any farther. And wives are supposed to go, see, that's what I want to follow. Because <laughs> that's where I want to go. Therefore, that's where we leave. Now, at the end of the day, somebody's got to make a decision on things, right? Who bears that judgment? Notice the way I said that. Who bears that judgment? Dad, if you sit back and go, well, you know, I don't feel like making this decision. That was making a decision. Punting is deciding. Therefore, you have a responsibility. You have to remove the log. You have to see clearly in the world. You have to evaluate. You have to draw the line and make sure it is done on what basis? Scripture, how God has spoken, who Christ is, and what he has accomplished in your world. And now, this is the second half of this. The same person that will tell you, wives, be submissive to your husbands, is the same person that tells you to be obedient to all governing authorities, correct? It's Romans 13. Who killed Paul? Governing authorities. Now, why did they do such a thing? Because they reached a point where Paul, who told you to be, uh, be obedient to all government authorities, got to the place where he told the governing authorities what? No. Yeah, yeah, go, let's go fly. What is, oh, why is that song in my head now? Thanks, Danny. Way to go. Where is that from? Mary Poppins, you see, I didn't like Mary Poppins, but the music gets stuck in my head anyway. Why? See, I don't, well, I know why I don't like Mary Poppins. I don't like musicals, but, (laughs) sorry. (sighs) (laughs) Which means there reaches a point where the commands of government, despite what they are supposed to be, are not in alignment with what God has declared, in which case, as a Christian, you are responsible to do what? Disobey. Wives. There is a command of Christ on what husbands are supposed to be. There may reach a point where what they are is not in obedience with the calls of Christ, and you have to do what? Disobey. Why? Because at the end of the day, go back to Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. But as Peter reminds you, by your love and by your service and by your good and faithful living, you may win even that lout who's not paying attention or leading the way that he's supposed to. There is an interwoven relationship that is complicated in a fallen world. Now, with that said, that's part of this command here because what this is meant to be is a restoration of what things should have been. And what I mean by that is, let's rewind in your Old Testament to Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now that is before the fall. What happened after the fall? (laughs) To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. What has been the history of humanity's suffering in non-Christian cultures. And what I mean by that is, who suffers the most when the gospel light is dimmed and culture is its darkest? Women and children. Why? Because they're smaller and weaker. It just is what it is. And a 
how do I how do I say this through a cruel world exercising power and authority in its own power victimizes the weakest among them always has always will one of the stories I've always used for a good historical example is read a history book today and universally you know what you'll be told colonization is evil if there's been a colony anywhere it is wrong and wicked and sinful and bad you evil white colonizers how dare you i like to bring forth several examples my my favorite one is india because the british went into india you know the first thing they stopped a wonderful practice called widow immolation you're a woman and your husband died you know how much value you bring to the community now none how do we do those lovely hindu funerals we put you on a raft, put you out into the sacred river, and we do what with it? We light it on fire. Well, lady, I got some bad news for you. He's dead. You're useless. Get in the boat. And they put you on the raft and float you out and light you on fire. This, the British Christians showed up and went, um, no. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing that. That's part of our religion. Let me rephrase this. See the gun? We're not doing that anymore. That's just a no. We defend the weak and the helpless, because that is how God has called us to live. We do not victimize. The, re the command here is a restoration of godly living, of leading and functioning in recognition, recognition of biological realities that, dude, you have to stand firm in this world. My other favorite example of this is a Lifeway study that's probably 20 plus years old by now, but you want to talk about the brokenness of American church culture? Lifeway commissioned a study on conversion rates based on ministry emphasis. And I don't have the numbers exactly right. If you want to go digging on this, you can. But what they found was that if you do outreach for children, and your goal is to reach children, of children that make a profession of faith, you will have the parents make a profession of faith about 45% of the time. If in your outreach you get a mother and a family to make a profession of faith, the children and husband will make a profession of faith on average somewhere in the low 70s. 70% 70 of the time, the husband and children will follow mom. You get dad. You make a disciple out of a husband and a father. The wife and children of that man will follow in making a profession of faith 97% of the time. <laughs> That's in an unbelieving family. Why? Because it's a biological reality of how humanity has been built by God. Now, it's probably very telling that the more the church has become worldly in the last 40 years, where is most of our ministry outreach to? <laughs> Children and women. Even from a pragmatic perspective, it's not effective. From a biblical, per biblical perspective, it's devoid of anything that would be useful in the kingdom. This is a restoration of how things are supposed to be, of men in a culture and in a society drawing a line and saying, no, we stand for Christ and we will not allow that influence on our families. Now again, ladies, if he doesn't do that, you know what you should do? Stand as best you can. Stand as best you can. But recognize that that's broken. And that it is not going to function long term because it can't function long term because that is the antithesis of how God has told us this world is supposed to function. So, by the way, quick aside. If you're curious as to why the modern world, and when I say modern world, I basically include the last 150 years, give or take, okay? That's basically modernity in the modern world. The Industrial Revolution, it's just accelerated in the last 30, 40 years. Why do you think modernity has attacked things like gender identity, marriage, sexuality, basic biological truths? What happens when you completely undermine a marriage? What happens to that family? It dissolves. What happens if I dissolve a family in your community? Maybe something bad, maybe nothing. What happens if I dissolve 30, 40% of the families in your community? What happens to your community? What happens when I dissolve the majority of your communities in a society? What happens to the society? Turn on the news. <laughs> this is why 
the enemy attacks where he attacks. These are your foundations on how you live and for whom you live. When people look at you, wife, and say, why do you put up with him? He doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Because I love him as God has loved me, and I love God by demonstrating an attitude of love towards him. That's a testimony to the world. Husband, why do you live like that? Why do you draw such sharp lines? Why do you not allow the filth and the garbage of this world to permeate into your family? Because I love God first, and therefore I love the things that he has given me. You know, things like a spouse and a family. Therefore, I draw these lines. And by the way, that command doesn't go away if you are neither a wife or a husband. That command doesn't go away just because, well, you know, I don't fit into these categories. Therefore, I just live however I feel like it. No! You are responsible for the community that you are in, for the family that you are in, for the life as God has you to live right now. Which is, again, why we don't burn the widows. Well, there's no husband for her to be submissive to anymore. I guess she's useless now. That's not how this works. You have a testimony. You have a years of wisdom and living of life and faithfulness unto God that demonstrates who he is and what he has accomplished. Therefore, you have a proclamation to his goodness mercy, and grace, regardless of how broken this world is, or rather, we should say, maybe because of how broken this world is. Remember, when does your testimony to Christ stop in this world? When you stop breathing. <laughs> when you no longer have breath in you, that's when you can be done, when God has called you home. You're still here. Therefore, your life is still lived as a testimony. Now, Let's build on this because we're talking about foundational ideas, right? Verse 20. Children, ah, every parent's favorite verse. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. <laughs> every parent's like, we should tattoo that on their foreheads so they should see it. We'll do it like we write ambulance on the, on the, on the van, so tattoo it backwards so when they look in the mirror they can... <laughs> now, again, foundational idea. Exodus 20, honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. We'll come back to that because Paul builds on it in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, we're going to cover that because... The commandment to honor father and mother is the first command with a promise, but we want to make sure we define the promise rightly. So, before I ask these questions, I have to warn you, behave yourselves, okay? I know how you all are, and I know how you think. What makes someone parents? No, there's a, more, there's a simpler answer. A child! See, some of you made that face because you thought it, and that's why I told you to behave before I even asked the question. Behave yourselves. Children make parents. You're not a parent if you don't have children. What makes children? Who makes children? God does. God does. <laughs> I know how you guys are. Genesis 4. The man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Genesis 25, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Psalm 127 gives you the, the summation of this. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. <laughs> See, some of you are now giggling amongst yourselves. Behave yourselves. <laughs> Children at the end of the day come from God. Now, this is important for our equation here on the first command with a promise. If children honor their parents, why will it go well with them in the land? What's the assumption? The assumption is that the parents are doing all of the stuff we've just been talking about with husbands and wives, actually following God and actually instructing their children on how they should live, which means as you follow that, you are actually following God. This is the assumption in the Paul's command to wives, is that your husband, as a man of God, is supposed to be leading his family in a godly direction. Where do you want to go, godly woman? 
where God is. So if I'm married to him and he's going to where God is and I want to go to where God is, what do I do? Follow him. If he's not, what do I do? I follow God. This is the same command to children. The assumption in these things is who you are in Christ. Always remember this. Always, always remember this. Biblical instruction is given to people who are supposed to be redeemed of God. Always, always, always. If you attempt to import this instruction, actually, if you attempt to export this instruction from a godly community and then import it into a godless community, you will have chaos. Or as Thomas famously said, because Connor loved that, confusion and delay. (laughs) You will have terror on every side. You will have abuse. You will have neglect. You will have corruption and brokenness because you will have taken a great weight and heaped it upon the people, which is what the warning from Jesus was in the New Testament, is you've given a people who are unredeemed this yoke upon which they must live, and they have no hope of following it. The assumption in all of this is, again, that Colossians 3.17, that you are glorifying God in all of your action. Now, why do we spend more time on husbands than the wives in the previous section? Verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Notice who continually gets that instruction. Yeah. Same thing, by the way, in Ephesians 6, because if you go from Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, you know who gets started in on on Ephesians 6, 4? Yeah, dads. Dads. The assumption is your kids are broken and messed up. You know whose fault that is? Dads. (laughs) Dads. You want proof? You want proof? Look at your modern world. Okay, let me get myself in trouble. You ready? Divorce is tragic. It is a breakdown of a covenant before God, and it is never fun and never good. Almost regardless of circumstances, where do we send kids every single time? Mom. Now, are there circumstances where they should be with mom? Yes. Are there circumstances where they should be with dad? You know what happens when there are circumstances they should be with dad? They're with mom. Why? Because we discount fathers. Why? Because our society doesn't wish to build godliness. It wishes to build corruption and destruction. What do we incentivize? This was, oh, how long ago was this, Cameron? 2010, 2012, there was some group that did an audit of Pennsylvania. And what they discovered was that if you were a single mother with, was it two or three kids? Was it two kids? If you were a single mother with two children in the state of Pennsylvania, you were eligible for it was like up to $70,000 a year in direct income and assistance from the state. <laughs> I was just like, hey, baby, you want to you get divorced and move to Pennsylvania? <laughs> I, because, and here, and here was the scam that they found out. The reason they found this out is what was happening was people were getting together and not getting married and having a family. And he would buy a house, and she would pay rent in the house that she lives in, and then she would get rental assistance as a single mother, and then she would get utility assistance, and then she would get food assistance, and then she would get a cash payout for other things. And by the time it's all said and done, this couple that's been together for 15 years is literally cashing 50 dollars a year in checks from the state simply because it's a single mom. Now, nobody wants single moms to be hungry with starving kids, but why do we incentivize single parents that much? I'll I'll hang up and listen. This is the breakdown of a society. We do this. Now, as we have incentivized this, and we have created entire communities full of single mothers, what do we see in their children that have no dads? We see increase in violence. We see increase in drug use. We see an increase in more single parents. We see a breakdown of society in every shape, form, or fashion. Um, this is always the, the, the question that gets asked because we're going to have this conversation again in this country in the next week. Just get ready for it. Every time the systemic racism comes up, the one thing they will always ignore is they will ask the question, why does the black population of this country make up about 15 to 20% of the population, yet it commits over 70% of the crimes? And you'll be able, you can actually track demographically as to when that began. You know when it began? Mid to late 60s. Do you know what also began in mid to late 60s? The breakup of African-American families. You see, this, you see the rise of single mothers and absentee fathers in that community. And what happens then? Direct line to where you are now where 
15% of the population commits over 70% of the crimes. Because dad is not there to go, boy, stop it. <laughs> and you laugh, but that's part of the world. That's just, I, I used to, I, when I was in a daycare, I ran a daycare center after school program when I was in seminary. And I had one group of kids that I knew was never going to be in trouble. Never in a million years. I don't know what this dad did for a living. The only thing I know is he showed up every day with a brand new Dodge Charger. And his kids, he had two twins, boy and a girl. And the man spoke two words to me in like six months that I had known him. He'd come in, say hi, tell the kids to get their stuff, sign them out, and then he would leave. And that was as, he was matter of fact, go get your stuff. How are you? All right, let's go, guys. And that was it. Well, we were had, I don't even remember what the issue was, but they were stealing something, lying about stuff. But these two kids were involved in a larger problem that came from the school system because we used to pick them up on a van straight from the school and then bring them. And so dad came in and was like, real quick, just let me get to talk to you something about the kids. And I gave him the rundown on what was going on. And he just stood there and listened, looked at me. They were standing there with their backpacks. He looked at them. They just stopped and looked up at him. He looked at me, he goes, it won't happen again. Get in the car. <laughs> you know who never misbehaved again? Yeah, those two. Those two. Dad said no. That's what's needed in more societies. That's why this is given. This is a restoration of what the world breaks. Now again, how do you fix that in a society, Christian? Do you go in and go, Dad, stop abandoning your kids. Mom, stop doing this. Stop picking bad men. Stop. That doesn't work because what happens? You've taken the law of God. You've exported it from a Christian community and you've imported it to a pagan community. And what will you get out of it? You have to do what? Change the hearts and minds of the people. You have to preach the gospel so that they would be changed so that then they will live differently. And that's true from every society from the beginning. That's why the instruction is given. It's a reminder that, Christian, as you are changed of Christ, this is how you live, both as an honoring of God and a testimony to the world. So that when they look at you and go, why aren't your families a train wreck when all of ours are? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you what he has done and what that means in the world that we live in each and every day. And now you're actually getting to the baseline issues. And by the way, that's actually the passive part of the command. Hey, Dad, don't annoy your kids to death. That's actually a passive thing, what you shouldn't do. The active thing we've already mentioned. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, as you live, you should live a life that is testifying to who God is and what he has done and what that means for how you live in this world. Which, by the way, again, shouldn't just be a special commandment to parents, or in this case, dads. It should be a commandment to Christians. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Or as I always tell you, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. That's how we're supposed to live day in and day out, not just because, oh, look, there's kids around. I better go clean up my life. No, you're a Christian. Live your life unto the glory of God. Now, if none of that was controversial enough, <laughs> who wants to have real fun? I told you I have not been looking forward to this. Verse 22, slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. Oh, yay. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Contrary to the modern world, and the modern reinterpretation of things, the Bible actually does not freak out about slavery. Okay, and here's why. The reason you do in your Bible doesn't is because you're not thinking about the same things, okay? When, you th when I say the word slavery to you, you are immediately thinking civil war. We shot people for this. You are thinking of American slavery system, what the Old Testament would have called man-stealing. It is condemned. It is outlawed. That entire system was evil and against the law of God. When you rewind, and we did this when we went through Exodus, so um, if you want to go digging around, I want to say it's Exodus 25. Don't quote me on that, but you can go find that. We did some of this then in a longer time frame. When you read biblical slavery, you are thinking more in the long of the lines of what your history books would have called indentured servitude. 
if you remember your U.S. history, you know, indentured servants coming over from England, you're more in line of that. There was provision amongst the Israelites. Your slaves had to go free. Unless your slave was just like, dude, no, see, my, what, the reason I'm here is because I can't manage the family plot of land. I can't handle that. I'm no good at this life. That's why I sold myself to you so that you can manage it so my family doesn't starve to death. If you turn me loose, you know what's going to happen? <laughs> you put me back in charge of all this, you know what I'm going to do? Exactly. So why don't you keep it and manage it, and that'll be fine. And then you know what happens at the Jubilee? It goes back to the descendants anyway. In other words, we just skipped the lout generation because, you know, that happens every once in a while in families. Good, good generation, good generation, good generation. Oh, my goodness, you people, what is wrong here? Good generation, good generation. The Bible has a system for that to, in, to maintain the family lands. That was part of that system. The other portion of slavery in the Old Testament was from the nations around Israel. Why would they take slaves from the nations around Israel? Well, it's because they were killing them to conquer the land. And the only way to ensure that you wouldn't have the influence of the pagan nations was to do what with them? Wipe them out. So the alternative was death. It was death or a biblical slavery system. Now, with that, who wants to guess which class of people was enslaved more than others? When you go in and you kill everybody in the village, who do we take as slaves? Go ahead and say it. It's okay. Women! your Bible actually commands that you treat them as wives. You don't get to send them away because she got old. You don't get to send them away because you didn't like her anymore, because she's a foreigner. You actually have to treat her as if she is a wife. Why? Because you're using her as if she was a wife. So your Bible's understanding of slavery is not what the modern understanding of slavery is. Hence the reason it doesn't freak out and why it says things like, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. Now once again, the assumption for the Colossians is who are your masters supposed to be? Believers. Believers. If they're not, you still have to follow God. That may mean bad things for you in this world, but you have to draw that line. And by the way, I have some warrant for this. 2 Corinthians 7. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called as a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able to become free, do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. If you want to have some short reading, read Philemon. Philemon is a book written to a man named Philemon who owns a slave named Onesimus who has found Paul and become a Christian. Paul's answer is, well, go back to your master and let him give you permission to come minister to me. Paul doesn't say, free him so he can be useful in ministry. He says, do the right thing by your brother in Christ. What ends up happening is because we misinterpret what the Bible's talking about with slavery, with what we talk about as slavery, we assume that there's a trajectory, scriptural teaching. Hear me now. Always, always, always reject trajectory hermeneutics. If someone tells you, well, the Bible is moving in this direction, run, screaming from the room, having thrown things. And by things, I mean like things, okay? <laughs> See? Throw them. Why? The trajectory hermeneutic is what's used so often to, under, to reinterpret our understandings of slavery. It's also the hermeneutic that is attempted to be used by the LGBTQIA plus 2S1712 groups. Pick one. You laugh. They keep adding them. There's a two and, and all sorts of stuff in there now. They use what we call a trajectory hermeneutic. Well, the Bible was here, but it's moving to this place. No. No, no, no. The Bible doesn't move places. That's you adding to the text. That's you importing our world into Scripture. Don't do that. And when someone starts trying to do that, run. Because once you've, once you've adopted a trajectory hermeneutic for one thing, you have no basis by which to say, well, why can't we use that over here? And why can't we use it? No, no, no. We only use it for that thing. We don't use it for this thing. Well, that's inconsistent. That's not how this works. So there's your warning. Not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, as we keep moving, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Paul looks at a Christian who is in slavery and says, are you different from any other Christian? No. Your service is rendered how? 
unto God. And again, by the way, not unique here, Ephesians 6, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. The assumption is this, Christian, you have woken up today and found yourself in slavery. Is God in heaven going, oh my goodness, what happened? How did we get here? What should we do? (laughs) That's not how God runs his universe. Therefore, Christian in all things, serve God. That's why he continues verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Fast forward to the end of the book, Revelation 22. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. Christian, where's your peace? In Christ. Where's your hope? In God. Where's your security? In God. Where's your reward? In God. Do not look for peace, comfort, security, and the rewards in this place. When you do that, you have surrendered to this world and you have redefined your Christian living according to a wrong and broken standard. Don't do that. Now, what's my worry if those masters aren't getting this right? The reason why we're not going to stop at 25 is because the section doesn't stop at 25. It's one of those places where the, uh, the chapter breaking is, a bad, is in a bad place, but start at 25. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that which uh, with and that without partiality. If I could speak English, we would be all set. Is that just a warning for slaves who are disobedient? No, because if my hope, security, comfort, peace, joy, and reward are in Christ, where is judgment found? In Christ. Christian, why aren't you afraid of it? Is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Remember, Colossians 2, all of those decrees he has taken out of the way, having nailed them to the cross. You read this in light of that reality. Because that is you, you do not fear, but recognize that if that is not you, (sighs) judgment shall be merciless. Because sin deserves how much quarter? It is a vile, wicked affront to God. When God deals with it, how much grace should he provide to that sin? None, none whatsoever. He provides the grace to you because he has dealt with your sin by providing it how much grace in the cross of Christ, by the way. (laughs) If you're wondering what the penalty poured out on sin looks like, when Christ bears your sin, what does that look like? Imagine amongst yourselves. Don't watch the passion if you don't have a strong stomach. (laughs) Masters. Chapter 4, this is where that chapter break is just so bad. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. See, I am in charge around here. I own people. I run things. Yeah. Be careful. What goes before a fall? Ephesians 6 again. Masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. I mentioned this earlier, reminded of you now, Romans 13. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. That's why Paul tells you, if your government isn't asking you to sin, what should you do? You should be fairly peaceable. Why? Who put that government in charge? God did. The minute they come out of line and ask you to do something that God has forbidden, what do you do? You say no. Always remember, the two people in the New Testament who told you to follow your government and be obedient were Paul and Peter. Who killed them? Angry mobs, right? No, no, no. The government killed them. And that Christians who were model citizens throughout the Roman Empire, who predominantly killed them? The government. And Christians in the Middle Ages who were model citizens, who persecuted and killed them? The government. I always get a kick out of when you see, <laughs> like when you get to the Middle Ages, and I have fun with this, but you see the, uh, the English coming away from the Church of England because they believe it to be an apostate denomination. Do you know who kills them on behalf of the church? The government. The government does. The separatists are killed a lot of times even during an Elizabethan government, which was a Protestant Church of England government. Who, who does this work? They do. 
Why? Because when you forget God, you seek to become God, and that's true in every avenue. Christian, what should you always be reminded of? That you too have a master in heaven. One of, the, uh, one of those things that's not in the Bible but feels like it should be is the reminder that this too shall pass. And we often remind ourselves of that when things are low. You know when you should be more reminded of that? When things are high. When things are going well. When life seems to be awesome and nothing bad is going on, you need to be reminded that sometimes in a fallen world, that this too shall pass. In other words, when things are bad, I trust in God and I worship and serve him only. When things are good, I trust in God and worship and serve him only. And again, Paul and Peter don't pull that out of thin air. Leviticus 25. You know it's a good day when there's a Leviticus reference, don't you? And I didn't even read the Song of Solomon references I had. I'll let you guys read those at home. If a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to you that he sells himself to you, this is biblical slavery, you shall not subject him to a slave service. He shall be with you as a hired man, as if he were a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. He shall then go out from you, he and his sons with him, and shall go back to his family that he may return to the property of his forefathers. For they are my servants whom I brought from the land of Egypt. They are not to be sold in a slave sale. You shall not rule over him with severity, but are to revere your God. In other words, in all things... Glorify God in who you are and how you live. And remember, this was, this was the bumper guards. Remember our bowling analogy from last week? What were your bumper guards? The teachings of Scripture and your life lived unto the glory of God. So what's the protection in your marriage? The teachings of Scripture and the fact that you're living your life unto the glory of God. What's the protection on your relationships with your children? The teachings of Scripture and your life being lived unto the glory of God. What's your, what's your bumper guard and your security if life has gone so terrible that you're no longer in charge of your own life in this world? The teachings of Scripture and a life lived unto the glory of God. This is the cure, by the way, because this is, this is what always messes people up. I'm not an evangelist. Nobody's asked you to be. Nobody's asked you to be. We've asked you to be what? Faithful Christians living your life unto the glory of God. Because if you do that long enough, you yourself will run afoul of the world in which you live. You yourself will, will like sandpaper, you know, you will eventually annoy something. Why are you different? Why not? You'll get that one eventually. Why not? We're all doing this. Why not? Let me tell you about my God. Because of who you are, what he has done, and because you know the reality of how those two things go together, you have opportunity to testify and to shine the light in this world. That's the, it's the Peter section from earlier. Because of your good behavior that you glorify God who is in heaven. This is the summation of all of these relationships, is that as you live your life, you live it unto the glory of God. No matter who you are, where you are, how good things are going, how bad things are going, whether or not it's worked out, whether or not it hasn't worked out, you remain faithful knowing that in this world there will be troubles. But as Jesus tells you, take heart, he has overcome the world. Let's pray.